I'm calling to ask if I should be worried that my daughter is still frequently breastfeeding as a soon-to-be 16-month-old. And the women who don't ever skip ovulation, such as nuns who never use birth control, never get pregnant, they actually have a much higher risk of ovarian cancer. Nuns so, have a higher risk of ovarian cancer? They sure do, yes. That, 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 that's because never hit the major headlines. <laughs> It sure feels like a power trip that one person can tell a couple not to have sex. And that is a really long time not to have sex. And by the way, just have sex after the baby is born. Yeah, right. Is there ever an indication for for sex to be used in birth? How can we, without walking on eggshells, explain, well, we can't really ever come over to your house until you take those things out of the wall? Let's spontaneously text Carly Hartwig right now and see if she's available to just hop on the line and answer this herself. You want to do that? Tell us how bad Febreze is. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the February Q&A. On this bitter, cold February day, we are having temperatures in the negatives here in Connecticut. Deep in the negatives. Have you been outside lately? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. My friend invited me to the dog park today with the dogs. And I said, I don't go for extended walks when it's under 20 degrees because the body (laughs) never warms up. I walked, I used to walk every Sunday through the year, three mile walk every Sunday with a friend right through the year. And I noticed that in the winter, I would always eventually warm up and peel off my hat and peel off my scarf. But once it was 20 or below, I would never warm up. I would, you know, I'd get back to my car three miles later and be just as freezing as I was before the walk. So I, <laughs> I don't intentionally go for walks when it's below twenty. Yeah, I did it. I did it the day before yesterday, and it was rough. It was like you know that like that when you breathe in, your nose feels like it's freezing. Yeah, your body is saying this is just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then everyone's like, "Why do you live in the Northeast?" And you know, well, and we have beautiful summers, and we have fall and spring, and that's amazing. That's fun. I just. I don't under, I literally, I go to bed at night on these cold nights and I think about how on earth do these animals survive outside? I do not understand how they can do that, how they can just be outside 24 seven like that in those temperatures. It makes me feel so sad. I know. They curl up in a little ball. Hopefully next to another cozy animal. Yes. Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Nice of you to worry about them. I do. What, I literally, that's what I think. About. I know. I, I think about it too. I know. And our ancestors used to be outdoors like this with their babies. Let's remember that for, you Amazing. know, yeah. So, all right, let's, we have tons of questions. So let's get started. Hey there, Cynthia and Tricia. It's Lee calling you from Kauai. You already know how much I respect and love you too, and the work you do. So I'll get right to my question. I'm wondering what knowledge or information you have about body work for newborns, especially in the realm of a repaired tongue tie and a particularly colicky baby. That's it. Appreciate you so much. Aloha. 
So Lee is our self-proclaimed oldest listener, but we can't really prove that. So if you happen to be older than late 70s, call us. We want to know if if you want to take that title, but we love having Lee. We're very like-minded. She was a big fan of um, Peggy O'Mara and Mothering Magazine in the 70s and 80s. So we've come along and she feels like, you know, we're, we're her people. And she lives on a beautiful farm in Hawaii, which we will someday have to visit. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't have to twist hey, our arm. Come in. <laughs> yeah. And you, we just need a formal invitation, Lee. All right. So All body right. work for babies, Trisha. Yes, what, what great. This is, a, this is a great question. And I know she asked this question because she has a, a new grandbaby. And um, so, yes, body work is a really helpful component to um, the treatment of tongue tie because when the tongue is developing in utero from day one, the tongue is connected to the whole body. So as the tongue is developing and if it's tight and tethered, it can affect the muscles and the fascia from head to toe. Crazy, right? Well, yes, it does sound crazy. What do you mean it's attached to the whole body? Do you mean like it's attached to one thing that's attached to the next thing that's attached to the next? Yeah. So if there's tension in the tongue, it can create tension through the whole head, neck, spine. I mean, everything in the body is connected. So if there's a part of the body that's overly taut, it can influence the rest of the body. And that's why, and that's why babies who have tongue tie have more issues with reflux and constipation. Um, and body work is a really helpful part of the treatment to release that tension throughout the body. So what do you recommend? Cranial sacral, chiropractic, myofascial, you know, those are all three different components of body work that you can do that all each in their own way benefit um, the release of tension throughout the body. And chiropractic sounds alarming to some people who don't know too much about chiropractic, but they have pediatric chiropractic and there's a technique, I believe it's called network chiropractic, where they use the the weight of uh, with the finger, the pressure that it is equivalent to the weight of a dime, very gentle touching on the spine that just activates the nerves in that area and that's it's, very similar to the myofascial release. Exactly. And it's not, yeah, it's not the kind of like neck cracking that you experience when adults go to the chiropractor and nobody wants to put their baby through that. It's a much more gentle, um, much more gentle technique. So absolutely big fan of doing body work for that. All right. Let's listen to our next one. Hi, Trisha and Cynthia. Uh, my name is Jessica. I am 37 weeks pregnant. And my question is about cervical checks. I'm wondering if there's ever a legitimate reason to get one at the end of pregnancy uh, when there are no signs of labor. Um, I've heard, and I know that you can be a couple centimeters dilated for a while, and it doesn't necessarily mean that labor is coming. Um, So I'm wondering if there's ever a benefit to getting one at 38, 39, 40-plus weeks pregnant. Um, Thank you so much. Love your show. Is there ever? I'm really trying to think. I mean, the first thing that came to my head was like, oh, you know, if you really can't confirm whether it's breach or vertex, but then there's always ultrasound for that. But if you're in a midwife's office or a home birth visit and you can't have an ultrasound, then maybe you would opt for a cervical exam to determine that. Um, I just envisioned when I was a teen and my neighbor's colleague was pregnant and I'm like, well, how preposterous would it have seemed for anyone? even a vet to show up with a gloved hand and insert themselves and be like, okay, this is what we found out when we went in there. Um, it's been so normalized for us. And I think the the confusion is that for we, like for women, um, 
most women are, are pretty averse to having vaginal exams, but the data is so interesting. You know, am I a little bit dilated? How effaced am I? And I think that's what pulls us in. So it's been normalized. And therefore, this question seems logical because it's like, well, it's done so much of the time. When is it making sense? Right. I mean, well, I suppose, you know, bleeding, unexpected bleeding in labor is a good reason. But again, you'd probably look at ultrasound. Um, what or, would they be looking for um, vaginally to see if the bleeding is coming from the cervix as opposed to inside the uterus? Are you saying? This, yeah, could. I mean, it could be any number of things. Mm. So it's you know, kind of the only way to determine it is to look okay. or feel or check. Um, also, like if a woman is complaining of a lot of leaking fluid, but she doesn't mm -hmm. think her bag of water broke, her provider is going to want to know, is that amniotic fluid or is it not, you know, is it just cervical discharge? So that could be another reason. But for the most part, there are few reasons. And if you don't feel concerned, even if your provider wants to do a check, it's still okay to say no. And you might just do an ultrasound instead. Did you mean to say cervical discharge instead of vaginal discharge? Cervical, vaginal. Same thing? One or, one or the other. I mean, they're different. They're Is there such a thing as things? cervical discharge? Yeah. What is that? What from what is it? <laughs> this is why we get off track. <laughs> what is, uh, well, I mean, if I were listening to the show, I'd be like, what are they talking about? What do you mean cervical discharge? Um, what? Okay. Well, so for <laughs> cervical we, discharge. We, the be... inquiring minds need to know. We can't just okay. say something like that and not explain it. What what discharge? Uh, um, you could have your mucus plug. Well, that we know that one from your cervix, right? Um, when you ovulate, you have cervical mucus. When you just have like regular daily discharge, some of that's just your vaginal secretions, right? But, okay, fine. I mean, I'll let it go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want me to say? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know there was a a whole other thing inside of us that could produce discharge. <laughs> Hi, Tristan, Cynthia. My name is Jackie, and I love your show so much. I'm a first-time mom, and I just gave birth at home two weeks ago. It was an amazing experience, and I felt so much more informed and confident going into the labor and birth after listening to your show for the last six months. My question is about breastfeeding and pumping. I have 12 weeks off before going back to work when my little guy will have to start daycare. I've been exclusively breastfeeding so far, and it's going really well, but I'm not sure when to start pumping and introducing the bottle. I wanted to make sure I established a good milk supply based on what my baby needs and wants. I don't want to mess up the supply, but I also want to make sure I'm ready to send them off to daycare with plenty of milk. Can you talk a little bit about when to start pumping, how often to do it, and the best bottles to try out so that we can continue to breastfeed and bottle feed once the time comes? Thank you so much, and thank you for all the amazing work that you do. It helps so many women. Um. All right. So... As I've probably said before on the podcast, I think that when you are trying to pump to build up a supply at about two ounces a day is a good amount to pump extra. So I don't usually recommend storing more than two, maybe three for some women um, per day so that you don't get yourself into a position of oversupply when you're feeding exclusively at the breast, making too much milk on a daily basis can influence how your baby feeds at the breast. So depending on how much milk you think you need before you go back to work, which is usually a lot less than people think, nobody really needs a freezer full of milk before they go back to work. You really only need a day or two worth of feedings. And a, and a day or two worth of feedings is probably eight to 12 ounces each day because you're not gone for 24 hours. You're just gone for eight or 10 hours. So if you save two ounces a day over a month, that's 60 ounces. That's 
plenty. If you save one ounce a day over a month, that's 30. That's still enough. So you really don't need to start pumping for a stash to go back to work for you know maybe a month before your anticipated first day back to work. As far as introducing the bottle, um, you can do that anytime after three to four weeks. And you don't need to do it every day. Just do it here and there so that your baby's kind of used to it. Some people wait and wait and wait, and they don't introduce the bottle until the until they go back to work. And sometimes those babies won't take it. And what re- what bottle do you recommend? She had asked. My favorite bottle for breastfeeding mothers is the Evenflow Balance Bottle Wide Based Slow Flow Nipple. It's that's, the best. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I have to look up the show transcript to get that one. <laughs> Evenflow Balance Bottle Wide Base. That's it? That's it. There's no more to that name? Slow Flow. All right, there was more. Okay. Hi, Trisha and Cynthia. I love your podcast. Um, I have a question. Saw your post on Instagram about iodine deficiency in pregnant women, and I was wondering what supplements slash vitamins would you recommend for pregnant women rather than taking a prenatal prescribed by a doctor? Thanks. Bye. Well, I think we both are in agreement that uh, we want to try to get as many of our nutrients from whole foods as possible rather than vitamins, although taking a prenatal is still recommended um, because unless we eat really, really, really well, it's still easy to be deficient in certain things. and None of us are perfect eaters every day. But a food-based um, prenatal, not those prescribed ones typically. Definitely not prescribed those are the worst prenatals. Ones. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, iodine... Iodine-rich foods include um, seaweed is a great source of iodine and um, seafoods and especially shellfish like mussels, oysters, clams. Not everybody likes to eat those, but those are great sources. Um, Dairy and eggs are the other two really good sources of iodine. So what supplements do we recommend rather than a prenatal? Just the usual, like a food-based prenatal with no corn, no fructose, no soy, no all of that stuff, no gluten. Yeah. And then the things that people tend to be most efficient in are vitamin D, magnesium, and B vitamins. So like a B complex, a magnesium, a vitamin D. And if you are really concerned about iodine or an iron too, that's another one. Um, you can take an iodine supplement too. Hi, ladies. I am calling to ask about postpartum bathing. Um, I've had three vaginal births and have been told three very different instructions on what should be done as far as bathing postpartum. Um, I've had a hospital birth, a birth birth center birth, and a home birth, and all different instructions on what to do postpartum as far as bathing goes. I've never really heard you guys talk about this, so I'd really love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. So what is she talking about exactly? I don't understand (laughs) why women always have this idea and they're told that they can't bathe postpartum. You're kidding. Women are told that? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Is it? Well, you did start by saying you don't know why. And I'm like, why? Well, <laughs> but okay, I do know why. Okay. Because there's this concept that the cervix is still open, which it is after yeah. birth. It's not fully closed for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you're not really supposed to have sex. But um, 
that things don't ascend into the cervix through water. We know that from water birth studies, and that's why you can be in the water when your membranes have ruptured because submersion in water does not lead to bacteria or anything from the water ascending into the uterus through the cervix. So maybe it's the recommendation because standing would increase the likelihood of maybe prolapse or bleeding or something like that. Do you think? I mean, are they just, because you're, you're a proponent of staying in bed for, I mean, I remember a woman once asked about giving birth at home on her first floor. And when can she walk up the stairs to her bedroom? And you said at least 24 hours, I think. So do you think it's coming from that kind of place? Just like lie down for at least a day, or do you think it's something I I don't, I don't think it is. Um, because I mean, well, first of all, a lot of women take a shower immediately after birth because they want to be, you know, if they're, if I have blood on, you don't have to explain. Right. Okay. (laughs) Um, so a a shower immediately after birth, but I think it's more about taking a bath, being submerged in the bath. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, we recommend that you put your perineum in a bath, in a sits bath. That's good for the healing. So I don't understand why you can't be in a big tub. You can. I think the most important thing to be careful of is one that you don't overheat because you do have blood loss after birth. And if you get too hot and uh, lightheaded, that's going to be very tricky in the bath. Um, and just being careful getting in and out because you're still a little unsteady. Your center of gravity is altered right after birth again. So just be oh, conscientious true. about getting in and out of the bath. Get Make sure you get some support. And you also don't need to bathe. There's no, there's no need to, and there's nothing wrong with doing it if you want to. Hi, this is Catherine. I have a scenario I would love to hear your take on. So I was really inspired after listening to your episode with Clean Living by Carly. Um, and I'm very concerned about synthetic fragrance. And I actually have been for years, especially those Febreze plug-ins. So I have my six-month-old baby. And, um, you know, we're, we're often invited over to a very close family member's house nearby. And this family member uses those like Febreze plug-it-ins in just about every single room. There's all kinds of sprays and deodorizers and sanitizers everywhere. And not only do my husband and I feel sick um, from walking around the house, but I'm really concerned about exposing my baby to all those, um, you know, uh, xenoestrogens and hormone disruptors, et cetera. So without offending them, um, especially while well, one half of the couple is very adamant about using these and thinks it makes the house smell nice. So without offending them or hurting their opinion on the synthetic fragrances, how can we, without walking on eggshells, explain, well, we can't really ever come over to your house until you take those things out of the wall. Thank you. Bye. I mean, this question really is less about the um, the toxicity of Febreze and all these other crazy chemicals that people emit into their homes and more about how to manage the boundary and how to manage, how to gently tell her that they don't want to bring their baby over to their house because of the chemicals in the house. Like, what do you say? There's no gentle way of saying that. (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) I guess you just keep offering to make them dinner at your house for a while. (laughs) She said it was a family member. So my thought is, you know, I mean, who knows the relationship? If it really is a close family member, you're just going to have to have an open conversation and you presumably would care about their health as much as your own health. So you would just tell them, you try to set them straight about the harms of breathing in that stuff. But if you don't have that relationship, 
you could chalk it off to being quote, highly sensitive to smells. I did that. I had uh, an au pair who wore a very strong perfume when my son was very young. And of course she was spending a lot of time holding him. And then she would, when I took him back, it would smell of this perfume and it would just be so strong. And so I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it having it in my house. And I just had to say, this is just, you know, we believe that fragrances are not healthy to breathe. And I know that you, I know that this is something that you really enjoy wearing, but it's just not, I'm not comfortable with it. And it's, I'm very sensitive to it and I can get a headache and I really don't want my kids breathing that. And it wasn't the easiest conversation, but you just have to say it. Absolutely. Um, you know what? Let's let's spontaneously text Carly Hartwig right now and see if she's available to just hop on the line and answer this herself. You want to do that? Tell us how bad Febreze is. Well, let's let's, ha- let's see what let's see what her <laughs> advice is. And by the yeah. way, before while she's responding to my text, as our listeners may know, you and I hold two live classes every single month on Patreon. So we hope you'll all go check that out. We've got a nice community growing there, over a hundred people already. And Carly is one of our guest speakers in March. So she's going to do a whole talk on toxicity, especially as it affects pregnancy and fertility. And if you're hearing this episode after March, 2023, you're going to be able to watch the recording as soon as you're in our Patreon platform. So you can sign up before and attend it live with us or sign up after and watch the recording. All right. She says she can hop on. So let's get her on the line to listen to this question. Connecting. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, perfectly. Okay. Sorry, guys. It's not working on the computer. (laughs) That's okay. The phone's fine. Okay. Thank you for spontaneously jumping into our Q&A. Yay. Okay. (laughs) so happy. I I know you have dinner plans, so we're going to keep it quick. We got a question that you should be answering. So everyone who's listening, they might know who you are already, but this is Carly from Carly Hartwig of Clean Living with Carly on Instagram, who was featured in episodes 177 of our podcast. Very loved and shared episode. Um, and we just mentioned we're, you're going to be with us in one of our live stream classes in March. Yay. So I can't wait. We have a question that we want to hear your take on. Are you ready to listen? I'm ready. All right. All right. So just so our listeners know, we just played it for Carly uh, off the record so that you guys don't have to hear it twice. Okay, Carly, you just heard the question. What do you say? About mm. it? It's a common one. And I think, first of all, this mom is dead on for being concerned, both for her health, her husband's health, but mostly for her babies. So pound for pound, your children are going to breathe more air, drink and eat more, and even have like more skin relative to our bodies as adults. So that in itself is concerning because they're going to be exposed to even more toxins relative to their body weight than we are. And we know without a doubt that exposure to heavily scented things like synthetic fragrance, like the air fresheners, the sprays, the plugins, they are directly linked to respiratory problems in babies and children, including asthma, including allergies. So she's right to be concerned. And I think she just has to come at it from a place of not judgment, (laughs) because ultimately let's operate under the assumption that these you know, people don't know how harmful these things are because I would, I would argue that most Americans don't. So I think there's a way to approach it in a very compassionate way. Um, you know, she could be very direct about it, 
while still being kind and empathic and, and just say, you know, I've learned a lot over the last few years about how certain things, including synthetic fragrance affect my health. You know, I know that for me, I get really bad headaches or I feel like I need my inhaler when I'm exposed to things like this. And, um, you know, we are, very cautious about the things that we're exposing our baby to because we want to set them up for a lifetime of health and really protect them from things like asthma and allergies. Um, you know, we've noticed that you have some plugins and I know they're common in a lot of other places as well. Um, and we're just going to ask that when we come over, can you please unplug them and, and put them somewhere else? And that will make a difference. I promise you. Now, if they're just sprays, right. And they're not just the plugins, that's going to be a little bit harder, but I think coming at it from, almost an educational standpoint. And, you know, some people fight back and we can absolutely give you some articles to send them because a lot of people are still skeptical. But I think this is a, a time where you're just going to have to exert your your boundaries as a parent. And it's not going to be the first time or the only time you're going to have to do it. Um, but if it came down to it and like I had a family or a friend in my life who joked it off or said, oh, you know, they're going to be fine. I was fine. And I was exposed to all of this. You know, we hear that, that rhetoric all the time. Um, then I would just make it a little bit clearer and say, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to visit because, you know, ultimately my I job can't hold my breath that long. Right. And that, and my job is on my baby. And if they're six months old, they're going to be crawling soon. You know, I'm not sure when she submitted this question. They could easily run up to a, a wall outlet, unplug it, and God forbid. And eat the they, damn thing. Right, right. They get some of that into their mouth. So right. um, I think if they're open to it, sending them some information. If they're on social media, you could be a little, you know, not passive aggressive, but um, a little more indirect and share some some educational posts about it. You know, I, I do that sometimes with people in my life. Um, but if they're not going to respect that, then I think that they visit you at your house. Um, and I think that's okay. And I think that's ultimately where we have to be. I have asthma and I've dealt with it my whole life and I can tell you it sucks. So anything you can do to not trigger breathing issues in your baby you got to do it. And you just got to kind of be mama bear and come at it from a place of compassion. And then if they laugh you off, which they might, then you have to make that decision about just maybe not visiting at their house, which sucks. Then, but then you're hosting dinner for the yeah. next couple of years. Yeah. And Hey, um, it could be a potluck and they can bring something too. <laughs> of course. Yes. From now on, we'll meet at my house and you will be bringing dinner. There yes, you go. Perfect. You bring. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the compromise. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. If you want to be around my baby, you know, here's what has to happen. I've had that's to have right. conversations with people in our life about their laundry soap because yes. they would hold and snuggle our daughter and then she would reek of tide, you know? Right. And it's like, I was just going to say, this is, the, this is just the beginning. Like you're going to mm -hmm. deal with this with people and maybe even someday with your own daughters. Mm -hmm. I struggle with that with my daughters all the time. They want to wear fragrances. Mm -hmm. They want to use Tide Pods to wash mm -hmm. their clothes. And you know, you got to, you, you, you have to teach them and you have to yeah. have the conversation. And sometimes they have to learn for themselves, right. um, which is what I just went through with one yeah. of mine. Um, but yeah, it's like, get, get used to it because it's, going to be around. It's coming. Mm -hmm. You're going to keep encountering it. So that's great, Carly. Thank you so much for hopping on. You're welcome. Everyone Anytime. will appreciate that. Have a great dinner. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We got so many great people in our pocket to make this podcast better, you know, so much better. She so did, good. So great good. job. All right. Next one. Hey ladies, I've got a quick question for you. Um, this is a first birth, and I saw my doctor yesterday for my 28-week appointment, and she wasn't trying to talk me out of going on Medicaid, which I plan on doing, but was giving me all the fear-based info to make sure I was just fully prepared. 
And one of the things she mentioned was pairing and that if and more likely when I pair, I'd be sewn up unmedicated and feel everything. Um, so I'm just wondering if you guys have any thoughts on this when you get a chance and how I should factor that into my decision making. Thank you so much for everything. So basically scaring her over the concept of tearing and uh, and saying, well, do you really want to have a totally natural birth? Because then it will be painful when we stitch you up. But the vast majority of women don't tear or have a first degree tear, the vast majority, and it's a non-issue. So I, I don't think that's the nicest thing that that provider is saying. That is not a reason to encourage somebody to have a medicated birth, that just in case you tear, you will, won't feel the stitches then, first of all. Use a local if you have to. That's what you do if they tear and it requires stitching, which much of the time it does not. A first degree tear and many second degree tears don't require any stitching and actually heal better without. But if they do, you just do a little injection of lidocaine. So it's really a totally, totally bad reason to encourage somebody to have a medicated birth. So you know, let's just that. do the easy thing and schedule a C-section instead. Right. And then we can just avoid it all. Right. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sachi, and I just got diagnosed with a partial placenta previa. My OB advised that my husband and I refrain from vaginal intercourse until it resolves, or if it doesn't resolve, after till after birth. And I was just wondering, like, how much truth there is to that, and if it will actually cause the placenta to sever its connection to baby, and just what risks am I facing? And if you could just let me know, that would be great. Have a good one. So this woman has um, partial placenta previa. The provider says don't have sex until it resolves or until after the birth. I am curious to hear your take on this, Tricia, because not knowing if that's good advice, it sure feels like a power trip that one person can tell a couple not to have sex. And that is a really long time not to have sex. And by the way, just have sex after the baby is born. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a really hard time for people to have sex. Women aren't in the mood to have sex sometimes for months after the baby is born from recovering and from being exhausted. So is there anything to that refraining from sex and also this partial placenta previa? Come on. It might not resolve until seven or eight months. What do you say to this? Yeah. I mean, so first of all, now we're talking about potentially a year of no sex between a couple, which is not going to be um, very healthy for the couple and um, pelvic rest, which is how it's referred to in the medical community is the term for not having sex during pregnancy. Okay. I have um, to jump in. I have to, cause I didn't know that they have a negative word for all the good things and they have a positive word for pelvic rest. rest. Stupid. Nice. <laughs> pelvic rest sounds really, really nice. Sounds I mean, like, what does that mean? You know, like pelvic. a yoga pose, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but they have all the wrong terminology for the definitions. All right, go ahead. Okay. Anyway, so pelvic rest falls under the category of um, activity restrictions in pregnancy. So bed rest is also in this category. So many women are told that they need to go on bed rest if they're at risk of preterm birth or if they have twins or if they're bleeding. And the science and the evidence really does not show that that is effective at reducing any bad outcomes in pregnancy. And it actually, and it actually puts mothers at risk of 
bad outcomes like blood clots and depression and um, loss of muscle, which is not good for anyone. Wow. So pelvic rest falls under this same category as far as the research goes. It is. So there really is no good evidence that you need to avoid having sex with a placenta previa, especially a partial previa, which isn't even necessarily covering the cervix. I think a good retort for the doctor in those moments is, I won't have sex for the next year if you won't. (laughs) Perfect. I just think it's like anything, we need to use our common sense. So if you're actively bleeding, maybe you're not having sex at that time. If you are just like when you're many months pregnant, we're a little bit more cautious and careful about how we have sex. If it feels uncomfortable because you feel like you're hitting the cervix, you know, take it easy, like try a different position, go a little lighter, do something different. Maybe you just have some oral sex for a while, like use, use your good judgment, but you absolutely do not need to follow a recommendation that says pelvic rest because you have a partial placenta previa. The evidence does not support that. And you should call your doctor out on that and say, show me the evidence. Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com and cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. 
Need its nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy to take vanilla powder. Perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, Head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. All right. I think it's quickie time. Okay. Hold on. Let's find the quickies. Um, okay. Here we go. Can I get admitted to the hospital without a cervical check? You can. They have to admit you by law. So yes, but you know. The question is what they say, what they say to you to, well, how do you get them to admit you, how how they have to admit you? Because I mean, they can say you're not in labor. Well, come back and tell them there's a woman in labor. If you, if they can't tell that you're in labor, you are there too soon. So yes, they can. That's that you can, you can decline. Yes, you can decline. And you can simply say, well, I'll just wait right here in triage until you feel ready to move me into the room because you're not touching my cervix. And there you will labor in triage and then eventually they'll move you. And that's not a good look for a hospital. (laughs) Okay. What can you do to resolve postpartum GI issues and bloat? So GI gastrointestinal issues. I think she's probably talking about constipation. That's not uncommon postpartum high fiber foods and hydration. Really important. So starting your day off with warm, a warm liquid, um, warm, a tea or coffee or Water with lemon is a great way. Um, I think coffee is a stomach irritant. I don't think I would recommend coffee. It does get your bowels going though. Well, yeah, but I don't think in a good way. <laughs> I mean, if I would, you know, know, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's, I don't think it, but yes, it, you're right. It would, but for GI, I think herbal tea and, or water with lemon is definitely yeah, start there. good for every human for sure. But it's really just about fiber, getting a lot of fiber into your diet, uh, getting a lot of fiber into your daily diet and making sure you're staying hydrated. So some of the best foods for that are uh, prunes are great. Prune juice is great. Dried apricots, apples are an excellent source of fiber. They have pectin pears. Those are great too. Um, Trisha, you have that great pear recipe where you cut up pears. You made it for me with like a so little delicious. olive oil, lime juice, and salt, right? Honey. And honey. So you so slice good. up a pear, you, you cover it in lime juice, fresh lime juice, and then you sprinkle sea salt, Himalayan pink sea salt on it, and then you drizzle it in local honey. And olive oil. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Olive oil too. Yes. Delicious. Okay. And that, with the olive oil, everyone. The olive oil makes it so that it's, it lasts a little longer energetically. You know, it gives you a little bit of fat, so it lasts longer. Okay. What, uh, if you've had a postpartum hemorrhage in the past, how likely are you to have it again? And are you more likely to have it again? The answer to this really depends on the reason you had a postpartum hemorrhage. So um, it depends on the cause. But in general, if you experience postpartum hemorrhage, you have a three to five fold increase in um, recurrence. 
especially if it was a severe postpartum hemorrhage, then it's more likely to recur. But do keep in mind before we move on to the next quickie, do keep in mind that postpartum hemorrhage is uh, overdiagnosed. And that's because they've made Pitocin routine. So they often use it under the guise of um, the assertion that you're hemorrhaging when in fact, they really aren't waiting around to even see if you are. So just keep that in mind. We don't really know with many women if they actually did hemorrhage or if they were just told that. That's right. And there are things that we do in birth that can cause postpartum hemorrhage. So that's why I said it really depends on the underlying cause. All right. Next. Is Vitex safe while breastfeeding? So Vitex is an adaptogenic herb um, and it is very good for helping to promote ovulation. It is generally considered safe in breastfeeding. We have a real lack of uh, studies and information on herbs and pregnancy and herbs and breastfeeding, but Vitex, what the information we do have does indicate that it is safe during breastfeeding and it actually can be helpful for milk. So yes, go ahead. How do newborn screening exams work at home? Do they have to be done exactly at 24 hours? Like what do you do if your baby was born at 3 a.m.? So, um, yeah, so home birth midwives have their, have their way of doing whatever newborn interventions need to be done at home. They'll come back at 24 hours. They'll come back at day three or day four. The heel stick for the um, PKU and the other congenital tests that we talked about recently in our Patreon live stream. Um, those are typically done on day three or day four in a home birth. They could also be done on the day one visit around the 24, 24 hour mark, but it does not have to be strictly at 24 hours. So your midwife's not likely coming back at 3 a.m. to do the uh, the newborn interventions, but they all can be done at home. Why are VBAC candidates referred to as trial, in quotations, of labor since they are largely successful and safe? Yeah, the, again, with terminology, but basically it's most providers who are supportive of VBAC or purport to be supportive of VBAC like to say, we always give you a trial of labor, which is like saying, we let you try to give birth. Um, so I like this. She's calling out a really good one. It doesn't it's make bad, sense. It's just bad, bad language. Like yep. a lot of the other things we talk about, it's like geriatric. It's just, it's terrible language and it needs, mm-hmm. it needs to be discarded. It's old language. We know now that VBAC is very likely to be successful. So it really should be called planning a VBAC, planning a VBAC, mm-hmm. having or planning makes a big difference in the subconscious and in every other way. <laughs> Can I see a midwife instead of an OB if I am not pregnant? Yes. Yes. Oh, and please, please do. do. <laughs> <laughs> with that, Trisha, you've got dinner to go to. I've got dinner to go to with my husband. I do, we but might- we can't. We can't close without this last quickie. Oh, really? Is it, is it another personal question for us about our favorite karaoke song? <laughs> yes, except this one says, what's your guilty pleasure? Oh, oh, wow. Hard one. Oh, my gosh. gosh. I, I wish I had so much more time to think about this. <laughs> is my guilty pleasure? You got 10 seconds and counting. Shoot, let me I really think. to get ready for dinner. I think I know mine. I don't know. Do you know mine? <laughs> <laughs> Because I really can't think of any. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I have some. I just romantic mean, movies in foreign languages. Sure, but that's not a guilty pleasure. No, no, it's I don't not. feel guilty watching those. Mm-hmm. Jean de Florette, like those are, you know, those are 
Well, you just don't feel guilty about anything. Look at that. I do feel guilty. Are you kidding? I've got, I I would love to relieve myself of guilt. I feel guilty over nothing. Mm. It's not easy being me, (laughs) (laughs) but I can't think of anything good. I feel a little guilty when I um, spend two hours in the bathtub. Oh, that's such good (laughs) self-care. Two hours. I've done it too many times. I don't know. I don't know how you enjoy doing that, but I would, I think that's wonderful. Um, I don't it's know. It's not very productive. I, it is relaxing. I owe people a better response. Oh, my guilty pleasure. God, how boring. <laughs> Let me ask Eric. What would you say is my guilty pleasure? Question mark. It's urgent. <laughs> All right. I texted my husband. Let's see what he says. <laughs> uh, he said sleeping. Oh, sleeping in. Yeah. I always feel the need to be productive or something. I don't know. I, no matter how late I go to bed, I wake up early in the morning. There's just something in my brain that does not really want to let me sleep. It feels too self-indulgent. Even taking a nap when I need a nap is just so hard for me to even fall asleep because I feel guilty the minute I even try. It's not, it's not a healthy thing. (laughs) So I am so sorry to our listeners for not having a much better answer than sleeping. That's so lame. My God, am I, what does this say about my life there? I should feel guilty about things. I should be doing far more things that I feel guilty about. Maybe we both need to do a lot more things we feel guilty about because yours is sleeping and mine is bathing. <laughs> That's not good. We're going to come, we're we're gonna 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 come back in a few months with a lot better guilty pleasures. Pathetic. <laughs> we just lost everyone's respect. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. A PVAC. Nice. Wait, what? A, a PVAC. A planning vaginal birth after cesarean? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a or... planned vaginal birth after cesarean. All right. That works. <laughs>